This podcast is also part of a pod course, which is available for credit on speechtherapypd.com. All you need to do is register for the course, complete the requirements, and you will receive credit. Speechtherapypd.com is a video continuing education company, a certified ASHA CE provider. More than ever, I am super selective on how I spend my time, whether it's choosing which emails to read or how I get my continuing ed units. I want value for my time and efforts. I'm Shar Beauchart, and I bet you can relate. So when I say I get my CEUs from SpeechTherapyPD.com, just know their speech language videos and pod courses are practical and totally worth it. And right now, you have the exclusive opportunity to pay less for the subscription than I did. <laughs> okay? Memorize this discount code. It's SHAR, C-H-A-R. Just go to SpeechTherapyPD.com, subscribe, and at checkout, type in what? SHAR, C-H-A-R. You get a $10 discount for heaven's sakes. <laughs> Do it now. It doesn't take long. SpeechTherapyPD.com. You and your speech kids will be glad you did. It's time well spent. Welcome to the Speech Link. I'm your host, Shar Beauchart, and I invite you to listen and learn practical strategies from experienced experts to take your therapy to the next level. Do you work on vocabulary with your language kids? Sure you do. Do you work on morphology with your language kids? Maybe, maybe not. You know, it's like morphology is this super important but little-known, little-talked-about component of, well, vocabulary. Many of us tend to think of morphology as something critically important in decoding and reading, and it is. But knowing and using appropriate and correct morphological prefixes, suffixes, and root words is important in oral communication as well. Got your pen and pen ready? Let's dive into the field of morphology and see what we can do to help our kids. Kathy Alexander is my guest today. She's an experienced speech-language pathologist who has worked in the public schools as well as in private clinics for 20-plus years. Kathy lives in Houston, Texas and presents seminars nationally and internationally. She's an author as well. She wrote WH Question, Blast Off, and Core Curriculum Articulation, RS&L, both published by Super Duper Publications, as well as the book, Teaching Vocabulary in Paragraphs. Previously, she spoke with us on vocabulary, but today she shares her knowledge about morphology. Check out Kathy's website at kidsvocabulary.com. Now, she spoke about vocabulary before, but I bet she might even interweave some vocabulary in today as well. Welcome back to the Speech Link, Kathy. Thank you. Thank you, Shar. It's good to be here today. Now, morphology is not exactly a household word. Okay, so let's begin with a definition. Tell me a child-friendly definition. Oh, I love that you said child-friendly. Okay, I sure will, Shar. It's the parts of words. Well, actually, it's the study of the parts of words. So there's actually subcategories, morphological awareness, morphological analysis, and morphological knowledge. And we interweave all of these into morphology. Ah, and are you going to be talking about some of those? 
I sure am. As a matter of fact, I'm glad that you mentioned the vocabulary before because we really need to incorporate morphological analysis into that comprehensive vocabulary program that I spoke about earlier. Uh, morphology is a key component of vocabulary. Interesting. So let's kind of begin at the beginning as far as a child. When does morphological awareness begin in a child? You know, I think it's a lot younger than people expect. Actually, children learn to inflect words from birth through five. Now, when I'm talking about inflection, Char, I'm talking about inflectional suffixes, plurals, S-E-S, and verb tenses, E-D, and then present progressive, I-N-G. And I'm also only talking about the expressive language. I'm not talking about reading or writing. These are just a child, a young child saying horses. There are two horses, but not riding S or ES. So again, it's younger than most people expect. But do you know what exact age that we should expect these? Do you have a guess, Char, on how we would know that? When should these inflectional suffixes should come in? What age? Do you know? Wow. I don't know. I'm thinking early on, like maybe three. Well, it's the brown stages of morphological development. Do you remember that? I remember. Those language samples? Yes. Yes. Okay. Well, I first always associated the brown stages of morphological development with a language sample. I always thought, okay, I have to do a language sample to use the brown stages of morphological development and code it. Well, then over the past past five years, I've really realized that is the order in which most children acquire these morphemes. So I have it just on my desk. It's laminated and it's great because it tells me things like, okay, present progressive. It usually occurs 19 to 28 months. So if I get a child that is three and they do not have their present progressive, I can look at that and say, hey, 90% of the kids acquire present progressive ING 19 to 28 months. So be sure to print it out. You don't need to memorize it. They have it handy. It's great for informal assessment and therapy. It's going to guide our treatment decisions. Sounds good. And you have that on your desk. (laughs) Where could we get that? I do. Okay. If you just Google the brown stages of morphological development, it'll come up. It sure will. Brown's stages of development. Sounds good. And it's a great handout for parents as well. But like I said, I keep it there. I laminated it. It's on my desk. I literally taped it on my desk because this way, when I'm working with a young child, and I'm talking about prior to school entry, like a young child, birth through five. Right. So, uh, but it really helps me if they're not using their past tense ED, if they're not, if they have not acquired their plurals or using their plurals, I can look and see, okay, this is when 90% of the kids acquire between these ages. So if they have not acquired them by that age, we definitely need to target that in treatment. Yes. You're talking about targeting and doing treatment. What are some things that you can do with young children to facilitate this morphological awareness and use? Okay. One of the things that I want to point out for plurals, 
I went to Ashit this year and I picked up an interesting fact. And that is that it was from Lizzie Butler Trump and she's with the University of Connecticut. And she just did a study and said that children comprehend and produce plurals better when the visual representation involves a larger set. So instead of saying teaching ducks with two or three ducks, use like 30 or 40 objects. They comprehend and produce plurals better. So, of course, with the little kids, we have to think objects-wise because they don't have, you know, they're not reading and they're not writing. So I have a favorite resource. It's dinkydoodads.com. And you have these little unique trinkets that you can buy there. And then like mini erasers are also good. And then like cars, usually you have quite a few cars. Anything that's little and that you have a lot of is good. So um, I also, with the little ones, there's reading books. There's a couple of books that I really like to stress comparatives to the ER. And one of them is Goodnight Gorilla by Peggy Rathman. Do you remember that book, Char? I do not, but it sounds good. Oh, it's good. Yeah, it's a great little book. Goodnight Gorilla. And it's taking place at a zoo. So I talk about, okay, as we go through the zoo, which animals are bigger? Is a zebra bigger than a monkey? Yes. Is the monkey bigger than a bird? Yes. Which one is smaller? So you can kind of incorporate those, can incorporate those ER. Also, I always take like a balloon and I pretend that we're flying over the zoo and it's the, the balloon gets higher and higher and it gets further and further away and it gets smaller and smaller. But you can see I'm repeating that comparatives ER. And I also like the grouchy ladybug by Eric Carl. And that one, I did the exact same thing that we talk about comparatives with animal sizes. So is the bird bigger than the ladybug? So these books are a great way to have lots of ex, lots of exposures to these comparatives, ER. And then, of course, plurals. And then my favorite activity to teach present progressive to the little ones. Again, we're talking about the young child is the cooking theme. So you can be cooking and baking, mixing and stirring. All of those have tied into the cooking theme, the present progressive. Mm -hmm. And then there's the book, We're Going on a Bear Hunt by Michael Rosen. The present progressive occurs 14 times in that book. So a typical therapy session with a young child for present progressive ING First of all, we would just play, play with the objects that we're cooking. And, and I talk about it and encourage the children to say, we are cooking, we are mixing, we are baking, we are stirring. And then read, we're going on a bear hunt by Michael Rosen. So again, with a young child, we're going to have to use books and objects. So that's that's important because you can't really say, okay, we're adding an S, we're adding E-S. E-S. Right. And one more, Possessives, I do have a favorite book for that one as well, Lily's Big Day by Kevin Hinks. And also, the toys I use to teach Possessives is firemen, policemen, because any community helper, because the fireman's truck, the fireman's boots, the fireman's ladder, 
the policeman's badge, the policeman's car. So you can tell there's a lot of possessives. Mm-hmm. Now you mentioned dinky doodads. <laughs> I love that. And I pulled that up and I hope if you're listening to this. I hope that other people do too. And it's D-I-N-K-Y doodads, D-O-O-D-A-D-S.com. And so I'm there and they have lots of little itty bitty things. And I'm not just sure which ones to get. Which ones do you recommend? Now I see one there called the teaching sets. Do you do stuff within that one? Um, you know, it's been a while since I've ordered them and I have several sets. So it's hard to, I can't, I actually cannot remember the name. Let me tell you, there's um, 50 food trinkets. Love that. Which looks pretty good. That one looks good. And that's like $13. Now here, this one looks like trinkets for teaching. And it looks like there's just all kinds of, you know, different topics and so on, different ones like food and animals and so on. I would like the ones that are a common, like the foods or animals or that kind of thing, I would think. Yes, those are great because also you can categorize those. So when we're talking about vocabulary, which we talked about in our other podcasts, you know, word sorts, object sorts, those are great for that, categories. You know, and they don't take up hardly any space. And you can just name them also for vocabulary. Those are great for just naming, making sure that the children know the names of each trinket. They're small. And because they're little, the kids love them. They they just, I think, because they can hold them in their hand, they can touch them, they feel, they're great. I absolutely love DickyDoTeds.com. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Okay. I'm in Animals, Birds, and Bugs. There's one on animals and sea life. There's one on miniature dogs, dinosaur babies, baby animals. Yes. Oh, these are, these are cute backyard buddies, uh, backyard buddy buttons. And there's like a skunk and a squirrel and, you know, some good S ones there. Playful puppies. Oh, that'd be good for like peas as well. Winnie the Pooh, but oh, those are cute. Um, woodland holidays. Oh. These are great. I love I So know. the miniatures, are they what? Maybe an inch? Yeah. Yeah. About an inch, inch and a half, I think. You know, they, but like I said, the kids love them and it's excellent for teaching plurals because we can talk about, because there's just, I can grab a couple of bags that we can talk about plurals. And remember that fact I picked up at ASHA this year is that the more, the larger the number in the representational set that they will comprehend and produce plurals better. So, before I was using them for sorting, for word sorts and categorization, and then naming things. But now I use them for my plurals. So it's they're great. They're addictive. Yeah, I love them. Ah, it's great. Well, and you know, just one little caveat though, because sometimes if we're working with little itty bitties, they like to put things in their mouth. So I want to make sure <laughs> that they stay in the hand and not in the mouth. Right, right. So if you, yes, if you're working with a child that might put things in their mouth, do not use them. Right. Do not use these. Yeah, because they are pretty small. Yes, they are small. So uh, or if you use them, make sure only you shows them. I mean, you do not give it to the child. So yes. Or if they pick it out of the bucket or something, they hand it to you immediately. Or Right. And cups are great. Like, you know, if you're sorting, you can use just those clear plastic cups. And then you can talk about what's inside the cups. So you could do it that and make sure that you hand it to them and then they put it in the cup, not in their mouth. It's a bit uh, 
and many erasers are well. And then sometimes I just actually, if I'm like at the dollar stores, I just look for something in usually in the party supplies, they will have more bulk items. They'll have packets of 12 or 24. And those are great to teach plurals as well. Good idea. Okay. Well, thank you for that. Okay. So that's working with the little itty bitties early on. Now let's get into school age, like kindergarten or early elementary. What should we be addressing there? Now I know it varies from individual to individual, but in general, what kinds of things do you work on? Right. Well, this is when we're going to incorporate reading and writing a little bit. Now, kindergarten is still kind of young, but we're still going to present them with a printed word that has, for example, if you're talking about puppies, then you're going to spell it P-U-P-P-I-E-S. But I want to point out that the little ones that are just going into school, school entry, so kindergarten, our terminology may change. You may be calling the word endings, and then later on when they're in second grade, you're going to change your terminology to say suffixes. So I wanted to point that out. So let's talk about prefixes and suffixes. Now, inflectional suffixes or those word endings are really going to start, they're not going to change the meaning of the word, but they're going to change the form of the word. And like I said, those are birth through five, and those are still developing in kindergarten. And then we're going to switch over and talk about prefixes. But when we start talking about prefixes and suffixes, my biggest advice is make sure the child knows what that those words mean. For example, they might have heard prefix over and over, but they really don't know what it means. So we say it's added to the beginning of the word. Point to the beginning of the word. Okay, where would it go? Yes, it will go there. How about word endings or suffixes? Where would it go? So show me. So that's where I start off with that. And then everything I'm going to talk about now from prefixes, suffixes, and root words, the morphology, everything I do is based on research. And the four principles, interventions that I follow is Carlisle's four intervention strategies. The first one is heightened awareness of the word's morphological structure. Make sure that the child can identify word parts. Can they touch this S at the end of the word? If it's the word unhappy, can they touch the UN? Do they understand that's a part of the word? Or the base word, the word in the middle? Teach the meaning of prefixes, suffixes, and root words. And then third and four is really morphological analysis to figure out unfamiliar words. So that is foster morphological problem solving. So you're going to see a word. You don't know what it means, but based on your morphological knowledge, you're going to figure it out. And then morphological analysis while you're reading. So while you're reading vocabulary or reading text, connected text in particular, apply these skills. Make sure that they're functional, that they can apply. They're reading a book and then they're seeing a word that, oh, I don't know what that means, but I do know that un means no. So I can figure this out. So 
all of the activities that I'm going to talk about are based on these four interventions. Okay. Now let me stop you there. Yes. This is based on the visual print language piece, right? Right. And if I can remember all the way back to number one, okay, of Carlisle there. Oh, good, um, good. Yeah, yeah. I, you were talking about a child being able to point it out. Yes. On the, on the page. Okay. Is there a step prior to that with our kids? And because somewhere along the line, yes, we need to transfer this to, you know, oral language. Um, but are you also adding that auditory piece, the auditory awareness of just being able to hear that there are parts of a word, that there are syllables in the word, or that there are sounds in the word? Are, the, are you also working on the differentiation between the syllables and the sounds and that kind of thing? Are you adding that auditory component, I guess is what I'm asking? Yes, absolutely. Teachers are going to be talking about syllables too. But one of my favorite activities that I like to do is called listen and repeat. And this is going to target exactly what you're talking about, Shar, that I am going to say a word such as uneven. And then I'm going to say uneven and then uneven, unfair, unfair, unload, unload. So we're going to be talking about breaking words apart. And one of the ways that I like to talk about breaking words apart is building words so they understand that words can be made up of word parts. And for the young children, I start off with compound words. In kindergarten, cow, boy. Look, you add those together and it's a cowboy. Cow, girl, you add those together, it's cowgirl. Dog, house, it's dog house. And then after they get a firm understanding that you can add word parts together to make new words, then I start adding things like the prefix un. I usually start with that one because it is the most common prefix. So we're going to see this very young. It's the most frequently used prefix, un. So I hit un hard, and then I also target re. Re means again because it's the second most frequently used prefix. So un and re are the two most frequently used prefixes. So I, I begin that I start them earlier than you think. How early? First and second grade. Oh, first and second grade. Okay. Uh-huh. Yes, I do. Apple did, uh, Ken Apple did a study and it says that we are waiting too long, that we need to start morphological intervention earlier than we think, because really by fourth and fifth grade, children are expected to read unfamiliar words Based on this morphological knowledge, well, if by fourth and fifth grade they're they are expected to read these unfamiliar words, we better start laying that foundation as young as we can. Mm-hmm. And I always start with the most common, and the most common suffix is s e s plural, and then second most frequently used suffix is ed, the past tense ed, and the third one is the present progressive ing. So that's really what I target. I target the five most common prefixes and suffixes. Un and re. Then the next one's like I-N-I-M-I-L-I-R. It's it's a lot of them that mean the same thing. Right. So those are a little bit harder to teach. But actually, prefixes are more straightforward to teach than suffixes. Hmm. Prefixes you can actually memorize. 
You can teach. Un means not. Re means again. Pre means before. Sub means under. Where suffixes, they can take a noun, like for example, F-U-L, the suffix F-U-L, it turns nouns into adjectives. So it's broader. It's just not as straightforward. So I, I am not a fan of flashcards, but I do use flashcards and try to make them really fun because memorization of what the prefixes and rich words mean will benefit the child because we want them to look at a word, automatically know pre means before, preschool, before school. So we want that automatic, oh, I know what that means, and then plug it in. And but suffix is really not the case. I mean, they just have to, we have to talk about it, like in general, like, okay, you're describing a dog and he's helpful and he's careful. So um, those flashcards are not as good, but of course, there's many, many activities. Uh, Listen and repeat is one of the activities I use. And then word sorts. I actually like word sorts. This is the one that, okay, you have maybe a pile of 10 words that begin with the word, this prefix pre. Then you have 10 words that begin with the prefix sub. Okay. And are these words or are they pictures? You could do either one. I'm actually talking about words, but you could do pictures. And because there's some kids you might want to get do pictures with. But I actually do have a favorite resource that I have. It's it's my go-to book. It's called Words Their Way, Word Sorts for Syllables and Affix Spellers. It's marketed by Pearson. And actually, the book is divided into nine units, but it has 58 word sorts in it. Unit eight is going to focus on affixes and affixes, I mean, prefixes and suffixes. So I actually just copy a lot of my word sorts from there. And then I use cups. You can have them glue them on. But what I do is I print them out on cardstock paper. I cut them apart and then I lay them out in a big pile. And usually I target three sets like pre, dis, sub. So words that start with pre, words that start with sub, words that start with dis. So I have 30 words on my desk or on our table and I have three cups. So we talk about, okay, look, this word is prepay. Which cup would it go into? Pre. So we sort first. That's important to know. You're not really going to talk about the words yet. You're just going to sort. Oh, these all have the word part pre. These all have the word part sub. Then after you sort them, then you take your cup out and you say, oh, prepay. What does that mean? It means you paid before, right? You've already prepaid for your tickets. You've already paid them before you went to the movie. Then you discuss it. It will help generalization. The nice thing about not having them actually glue it down is because I have these, I keep them in my little Ziploc bags and have some cups, and then I don't have to do any prep. I just have them close by. But it, it that my go-to book is definitely Words Their Way, Word Sorts for Syllables and Affixes Spellers. There's a lot of Words Their Way books, by the way, but that's the one that I actually like. Charbochard here. 
true story. I just hung up the phone with an SLP that had attended an on-site seminar. She said she loved the seminar, but she forgot to fill out her ASHA participant form. Sounds easy enough, huh? Uh Uh-uh. The seminar was three months ago, and all the paperwork had been submitted, and ASHA doesn't take late forms. So I said, Linda, you have to file an appeal with ASHA. Then she said, this is a nightmare. I drove two hours to get there, two hours to get home, and now I have to file an appeal. I felt for her. And then I said, Linda, have you ever heard of SpeechTherapyPD.com? She said, no. I said, just get your CEUs online, girl. That's what I do. You don't have to leave home. They have over 500 hours of video, a huge variety of topics for SLPs that work with children and adults. And if you don't want to watch a video, then listen to the pod courses and get your CEUs that way. Then she said, they're pretty expensive, right? I said, uh, no, their plans start at $89 a year for heaven's sake. And then I said, do you want the icing on the cake? SpeechTherapyPD.com has scheduled a CEU cruise next summer to Italy and Greece. Woohoo! She said, okay, I'm looking them up right now. And so should you. SpeechTherapyPD.com. Check them out. Tell your friends. You'll be glad you did. So how do you teach irregular plurals and regular plurals? I mean, they even just, they're not only spelled differently, obviously, but they sound differently. I mean, you have dogs and then you have dishes. Yes. Well, right. And plurals, you're right. S and E-S. Yes. Like horse, horses. With those, I teach them together, the S and the ES. I just say one is ES. and But I make sure that they have lots of exposures to both. Boxes, foxes, dishes, and horses. And then as well as cats, books, the S and ES. As far as irregular plural, I just basically we have, I have a whole picture, uh, like a notebook that I have goose geese. I have the irregular plurals and I have about the top 30 and we just go over them and over them and over them. Lots of exposures because they really do not. There is more than one. Let me back up a little bit. First of all, when you're teaching these S and ES, you need to make sure that you associate the meaning with the grammatical form. So for example, if I have a cup of dinosaurs and I have 30 dinosaurs. I'll say, yes, these are dinosaurs. There is more than one dinosaur. Here is a dinosaur in another cup. Or I have two cups of rings. Here's one ring. These are rings. There are more than one ring. There is more than one ring. So that associating the meaning with the grammatical form is very important. And I don't know if most SLPs really realize that they need to do that directly, explicitly teach that. That happened yesterday for past tense ED. They jumped over the sidewalk. They already did that. They already did that two hours ago. Associate the grammatical form with the meaning. 
However, for that, so here's a mouse and these are mice. There is more than one mouse. We call them mice. So for those, it's, it's mainly just memorization. I just have a separate notebook for the irregular plurals and say, okay, that's not going to follow the rule. That's not going to follow the S-E-S. We have different names for these. So you're basically, I have pictures associated. Here's a mouse. There are mice. I have deer, deer. So I have a whole notebook that is just dedicated for irregular plurals and irregular verb tenses. Yes, yes. Because those are not going to follow the rules. Yes. In fact, when I teach those, and probably one of my, I have to fess up, one of my least favorite thing to do is to teach irregular plurals. <laughs> but I don't bring in the rule orientation. I bring in that it's intuitive. You hear it, you feel it, you say it. What sounds right? Mice, mouse, mouse, mice, dish, dishes. And you just... You know, you just say it and you intuitively, because when we say something, we don't think, oh yeah, the rule is. We just listen to it and say, oh yeah, that feels good or that sounds good. So I think sometimes we can kind of get away with that piece of, hey, this is intuitive. Right. Telling the kid what that is, of course, but it just sounds right. Exactly. Yes. And exposure, exposure, exposure. Yes. The more that they're exposed to it, they're going to realize Oh, that doesn't sound right because they've heard mice used 20 times and you've never heard mouses, right? So they're going to, if they do say mouses, which they will, then they're going to think, oh, that doesn't sound right. But if they've heard mice 20 times, they have. So exposure, exposure, exposure. And some of it's memorization. This is one mouse. These are two mice. So uh, just making sure that they get that additional exposure. I spoke about exposure a lot in my vocabulary course. But I really want to emphasize that children with a language impairment need multiple exposures. They need additional exposures. So we need to, as an SLP, provide those additional exposures. Exactly. Well, and you also brought in last week's podcast as far as vocabulary. And that vocabulary piece brings in that association. It brings in the connections. It brings in the context. Yes, absolutely. As a matter of fact, I think morphology is, it is a component of vocabulary, but it is the most powerful strategy to teach vocabulary because once they understand a part means something, they can generalize that morphological knowledge to unfamiliar or novel words. So this is one that, for example, worthless, you can start talking about it and say, okay, less means without, worthless, it has to mean without worth. So that's one that has a lot of power because it's going to transfer over to novel or unfamiliar words. Well, that makes sense. Now, I know that you address root words as well, and you've given us a nice handout. Uh, examples of grade level root words, third grade through ninth grade. This is good. Tell us about root words and what we need to know to help our kids learn root words. Um, root words is actually my favorite of all of them. Um, first of all, I want to make sure that everybody knows the difference between a root word and a base word. A base word is a word in its simplest form. So bake, 
not baker, not baking, just the word bake. A root word is a group of letters that mean something. Bio means life. So there is a difference. So I just want to make sure that that's clarified. And for root words, you really have to memorize them, right? Bio means life because you want it to become automatic. But here are some ways that we can actually memorize them. You can use the flashcards. And like I said, I'm not a fan of flashcards, but I do use flashcards for prefixes and root words because I want it to become automatic. And I try to make it fun. Okay, let's see how many that you can, how many sets of flashcards you can do in 30 seconds. Oh, wow. And also you can take baseline data on that too. How many did they know on this session? You teach it for a couple of weeks. Okay, now let's see how fast they can do it and how many they know. So, and another one is they can match the definition to the words. So, and then multiple choice. What does bio mean? You give a choice to three or four. And um, fill in the blank. Bio means that I usually help them out. Like L means life. So those are some things you can do. But actually, what I like to do, this is how I like to teach a root word, is I'd like to take one root word. And I'm talking about lots and lots of exposure here. So let's take the root word graph. Graph is typically a third or fourth grade root word. Usually they're exposed to it in third to fourth grade. And it means to write. So I just think of all the things that we can do with the word graph. Make an autobiography. They like to write about themselves. And it doesn't have to be like a formal autobiography. They can say where they're where they were born, how many is in their family, what are their favorite hobbies, what do they want to do when they grow up, things like that. And then we could just talk about it and say that's basically an autobiography. You are writing about yourself. Calligraphy, of course, they don't have to do real calligraphy. But they can write their names, write their names in fancy letters or write their initials if they're not able to write their names. And then biographies, they're written about other people. And I do prefer picture-based biographies because one, they're less intimidating. The children don't have to read as much. And they're usually perfect for 30-minute sessions, whether you are in the classroom or in the therapy session. Um, I like Neo Leo, and it's about Leonardo, Leonardo da Vinci and A Wizard from the Start about Thomas Edison. So what I do is I take a root word, and I think of everything we can do about that with that root word. And graph also, I buy graph paper in August right before school starts, and it's really cheap. It's like a notebook of it. It's about 88 cents. And then I use it, I give the children that, and then I say, okay, we're going to write our numbers on the graph paper because in math, we often use graph paper to write. And let's take another one. For example, A-S-T-R means star. So we can talk about astronauts, astrology. You can look at the Big Dipper. Asteroids, I like the book. The Magic School Bus Lost in the Solar System. It explains scientific terms in a really child-friendly manner, and it usually has great pictures that goes with the word. So basically, photo, I have another favorite here. Photo means light. Well, our main source of light is the sun. So you can talk about photosynthesis, and you do not have to have the child label every part. As long as they know the sun is the main source of light, 
photosynthesis is talking about a sun and then a plant and how the plant uses the light as an energy source. So have them draw a sun, have them draw a plant and talk about photo means light. Oh, I keep having favorites here. Another favorite is Jekt. I love animal poppers and they have all these cute little animal poppers. They have shark animal poppers. What I'm talking about is the little animal with a ball in its mouth and you squeeze it and then the ball pops out and it ejects. So if I am teaching the writ word jacked, I have them eject the balls and they have to say it when they squeeze, they have to say eject, eject. So uh, I take a particular writ word and I think of all the activities that we can do with that writ word. At the same time, I'm repeating what it means constantly. So struct means build, construction, obstruction, instruct. You're building someone's knowledge. So the important thing is to have activities that the child likes and then repeat what it means over and over and over so that they so they can get to the point that they can look at the writ word and say, hey, I know what that means instantly. Okay, so I'm thinking we have moved on from third grade plus as far as activities, right? Because you brought in a lot of books and so on and talking about science and you could probably do the same thing with social studies and math and so on so that you're kind of looking at some tier three type words that are really focused specifically on curriculum topics. Is that kind of where you're headed for that grouping? For third grade on? Yes, exactly. That's really exactly. Um, third grade on, but actually middle school and high school, the kids are going to transition into content area text. They do do this in elementary too, but more so in middle school and high school, that you're going to have your science textbook, your social studies textbook. But this is a good time to talk about content area prefixes content area suffixes, and content area roots. So in elementary, I focus on the most frequently used prefixes and suffixes. And then I also have, as a handout, I have made a list of root words for third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, so on. And these are the grade levels that these root words are going to be they are going to be exposed to these root words. It is not a comprehensive list. And just because you might see that bio was introduced in third grade, they are going to see it in fourth grade and fifth grade and sixth grade and so on. So it's just the grade level they're usually introduced. And again, it's not comprehensive. So anytime you're working with a child and you see, oh, okay, they are working with this particular root word and they're in fourth grade, add it to the list. So, but when they get into middle school and high school, this is when I really break away from the most commonly used prefixes and suffixes. And we talk about content area roots, content area prefixes, content area suffixes. So for example, port, port means carry. So you might see that in science, social studies, or math. So equa means equal. So in science, you're going to have the equator. In social studies, this, the scales of justice, because we need to treat everyone equally. And then math, an equation. 
So another one, para. Para means beside. Now, again, now I'm talking about middle school and high school, and I'm talking about content area, which is science, social studies, and math. So para meaning beside, you can have paraphrasing that you're rewording it beside. You have a paragraph, and next to it, you're going to rewrite the paragraph, but it's still very similar. Paramedic, that's one of my favorites to teach because you're beside the medical person, right? You're working with a medical person. They might not be there right there. EMT and a paramedic might be the first one on the the scene, but the paramedic is really working beside the medical, with the medical. And what I like to do on that one is I do similarities and differences between a paramedic and an EMT. And then math, a parallel. First of all, you think, oh, a parallelogram. And but then I have students name things. We just look around and see what else parallel, like a fence post, jail bars. That's the one I got the other day, jail bars. I was like, well, yeah, those are parallel. Uh, railroad tracks, calendar, calendar pages are parallel. The little squares, the lines, the vertical lines, the horizontal lines. So it really changes from middle school to high school. It's more difficult. And the science prefixes and suffixes and root words are very difficult. But I directly teach this. I I teach them, okay, para means beside. We're going to talk about math today, parallelogram. It's explicitly teaching. Nothing is implied. And once they have that and we drill it and we go over and over and look at pictures, expose them in a variety of meaningful contexts, like, oh, I do see how that is. They're side by side. Then it's going to transfer over back into the classroom or when they're talking about it, because it, it it's difficult. Those middle school and high schoolers, it's, it's difficult. They're going to encounter a lot of polysyllabic words. Okay, so there are becoming more word aware parts of words. How do you then transfer that to the oral use? The oral use, what I do is I have a list of words that start with, let's say, para. And we talk about that in the three different areas, like I just said in math, science, and social studies. And then I just have a list of, I just grab it on the internet, a list of words that begin with para. And then we just talk about the words that are going to come up. However, if you're talking about functional, what I think is the best way to actually apply this in a functional context is to actually have them read a book, bring one of their textbooks or a reading book. But for middle school and high school, probably a textbook. And as we're going along and we're reading the same chapter, if they're in the classroom and you're working with them, we start going along and reading, just reading out loud or softly. And then we say, okay, this is a word that has para. What do you think it means? So I do, every time I work on prefixes, suffixes, or root words, we end always at least 10 minutes in a functional context. So I'm going to back up now to elementary. Let's say I'm working on L-Y. A lot of words, not all words, but a lot of words will turn, nouns will turn into adverbs when you add L-Y. So we're talking about that. They're circling L-Y. We're talking about, oh, how it's describing. We're doing a word sort. 
All of these words, quickly, loudly, quietly, they end with L-Y. So, and look, these are things you can do quietly. There's our actions to describing the verbs. So we've done our word sorts. We've had them circle, identify the word parts. We talk about how they're going to describe the verb. And then we spend 10 minutes reading in a functional book, but I have some favorites. One is Suddenly by Colin McNaughton. It's about this little precious pig and he's named Preston. And every time this, not unknowingly, he's been followed by a hungry wolf. And every time this hungry wolf wants to jump on him, suddenly he turns around. Suddenly he remembers something. Suddenly he changed his mind. It's so cute. So I do spend at least 10 minutes actually have them reading in a functional contest so we can actually talk about it. But if I can select the book to target, for example, suddenly for LY, I also like the three Billy Goats Gruff for teaching the suffixes E-R-E-S-T, the biggest, loudest, largest, heaviest Billy Goat. So I have some real favorites there. And I think it's important for them to realize, okay, we've spent 20 minutes identifying the word part talking about what it means, doing some activities, and then actually applying it in a functional context. That's important for the transfer. Sure. It is for generalization. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Okay. I like that. What else can you share with us? Anything else before I ask you the final question? I'm trying to go through, I'm looking to see as to my favorites. Like I said, the three Billy Goats graph for E-R-E-S-T suddenly Click, clack, moo, cows that type, the plural S occurs 32 times. So my advice is that if you have some books that lend well for teaching root words or prefixes or suffixes, go ahead and tag them, organize them that way. And that will help you a lot in the last 10 minutes in a functional context. And talk to other SLPs. Hey, did you find a book that you use for teaching present progressive or that has a lot of F-U-L, like full adjectives, because uh, I think it's a fun part to actually apply it and see them. And if you have a cute book and it's interesting, it's going to grab their attention and grabbing their attention is half the battle. So I think, I think that's it. Okay, good. Well, something I'd like to share here that I've done with upper elementary kids is retype the story. Oh, that's a good one. So that you have a, yeah, you have a page so that you can identify them, you can highlight them and so on. Sometimes I even put it into a PowerPoint and look at it. Um, well, I had an, L, an old LCD projector that we displayed on the wall. Right. You can just look on your computer screen if you want. But I like to have them to be able to see the words and manipulate them and touch them and feel them <laughs> so that you can circle the word or you can, you know, do you see a word on there that has a prefix or has a suffix? Which one do you like the best? And tell me about it. So that, yes, they are looking at it, but they are also looking at that word in the context of that sentence and paragraph and story. Yes. So that it really does give you that contextual meaning. Mm -hmm. So, you know, retyping a story takes a little bit of time, but you know what you can, you know, what I like to do is just record it on, uh, on my computer. Actually, I use Word and Word has a recording device or a dictaphone and you, as you talk, it types. Yes. It's great. 
you know, or you have Dragon, you know, is a recording device so that as you're talking into your microphone, it's typing the words on the page. So, you know, it doesn't have to take a long time. Exactly. But as long as they know that words are made up of word parts. Yes. And I like the part you said, make it tactile. They can circle, underline, highlight. They can do all three. Uh, They can build a word and have like a prefix on one page, a suffix or on an index card, and then the base word. And my favorite base word is view, preview, review, reviewer, reviewing. That's just a good base word. So if you're if you're trying to build a word, it's kind of hard to find a base word that goes with a lot of prefixes and suffixes, but view and happy is a good one also. Oh, good. Good to know. Yes. Yeah. Great. Well, I do have one final question here for you, and it's not about morphology or vocabulary. Okay. But here is the question for you. What advice do you have for today's therapist? Oh, wow. That's a good one. Good question. My advice is today's therapist, there is a lot on Instagram and on Pinterest and on the internet sources. And there is some excellent things on all of these. Make sure you always know why you're doing something, the research behind it. So like writ words, and you're talking about root words, know that you need to directly teach the meaning of a root word. And so if that particular activity that you find on the internet is directly teaching the word, it's great. It's perfect. You know the research behind it and why you're doing it. I want to caution the SLPs now that just because it's a cute activity doesn't mean it's a good activity. That's why I have those Carlyle's for interventions to heighten awareness of the word's morphological structure, make sure that they can identify the word parts, teach the meaning, and that they can apply morphological analysis is because I really stress those because you need to look at an activity or a worksheet and say, hey, that's going to help them identify that word part. That's going to directly teach them the meaning. So that would be my advice is that there's a lot now on the internet. When I started, you had to make everything. I mean, everything. And now I think it's a wonderful, I think Instagram and Pinterest in the internet is a wonderful resource, but go through it as a clinician with clinical expertise, not just, oh, that's cute. That's great. Oh, I like that one. Make sure that this is where we're going to use our clinical judgment is to decide which activities really are facilitating morphological knowledge. Yes, good advice. You know, we are doing therapy. (laughs) We're not teaching. Right. We are doing therapy. And I've often said that a good therapist can do therapy with a pencil, (laughs) you know. So the task, if it's cute, can engage the child but our work just begins when we have their attention and their focus. Then is when the therapy starts. Exactly. So cute is good, but wow, the the therapy piece is extremely important to know how to do it and to apply to those cute activities. So, and I think we probably all know that and we need a reminder once in a while, but Kathy, I just, I'd like to wrap up here and just say thank you so much for all of your great information and keeping it practical and giving us resources and ideas and so on. 
And I certainly appreciate you. Thank you so much, Kathy. Thank you. Thank you, Sharp, for having me today. Mm, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hey, Busy SLP, Char Beauchart here. Here's a tip from me to you. Every week, become a lot more informed. Sign up for Therapy Matters at charbochart.com. It's free. Learn our tech and language tips and techniques and tons of ideas for making your school therapy life easier and more effective. I've been a therapist for 30 plus years and I love to share what I've learned. Sign up for Therapy Matters, read it or listen to it at charbochart.com. You'll be glad you did because the therapy that you do matters. Sign up now. Thank you for listening to the speech link. Please check out my other offerings at my website, charvoshart.com, and also speechtherapypd.com. See you next time for more interviews, information, and insights. Until then, thank you so much for all that you do with your speech kids. Be well, and God bless. 